Posting Up is sponsored by Zeal. Want to know the only thing better than getting a massage? Try getting a massage in the comfort of your own home. Introducing Zeal. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national writer for the Washington Post. Coming today with a fun podcast with my buddy Matt Moore, formerly of CBSSports.com, now of the Action Network. Uh, Talked to Matt about the insane number of scenarios in the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs. I believe there are 56 of them right now uh, from the latest release from the NBA, uh, breaking down how all eight matchups could play out. There's only five teams as of Tuesday afternoon that know their seed. Uh, in this year's playoffs, it's, it's really wild. So uh, talk to Matt, who follows that better than anybody, about all that. And also talk to him about the Memphis Grizzlies situation. Robert Parra uh, is going to buy out both Daniel Strauss and Steve Kaplan, as expected, uh, and become the controlling owner of the team, or remain the controlling owner, I should say. And Matt has followed that situation closely, too. So uh, fun podcast today. Going to get right into it, though, with my buddy Matt Moore. All right, thanks for coming on, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, You, as I said in the intro, you follow the tiebreaker scenarios and what's going on in the playoff picture longer than anybody, really going back to the first day of the season. Uh, And I think the way this season has shook out with the final 18 games of of a 1,230-game regular season determining every one of the the eight playoff uh, matchups in the first round, I think is indicative of why you do that, right? I'm finally validated, finally, <laughs> for all of my stupid paying attention and being like, oh, hey, by the way, the Wolves clinched tiebreaker over the Thunder in December. Hey, I don't know, man. We've had a few of these in the last couple of years. We had the, the three through six tie a couple of years ago. We had the, the crazy West a couple of years ago. There's been a few of these. Yeah, and that's why I started doing it was I just started noticing because part of it is, you know, we, we lose sight of the fact because so often that the, the heavy favorites wind up winning and that's that matters but like if you make a second round you are treated differently than if you're just a first round and out and if you make a conference final it's like okay you're like a serious team yep. that's like one piece away yep and so your matchup determines a lot of this like if you catch that team that's that's the weak top seed you got a chance of making a run because you're going to be facing weaker opponents because you're getting the teams that they were going to play and they'd earn weaker opponents by being better. So like all this stuff winds up really mattering. And yeah, like when the wolves went on their run in November and they just racked up division win after division win. And importantly got those crazy wins again, like those crazy wins against the thunder, for example. Yeah. Like two of the OKC games came down to like basically buzzer beaters. They were super tight all the way to the end. One was a buzzer beater by Wiggins and that game, that game, winds up determining a lot of what we're going to see going forward. Like if OKC had one more win, they'd be in a much different position. If they gotten two wins versus Portland, as opposed to being zero and four, they'd have a real shot at winning the division title, getting a top three seed and having a much easier path. Um, so all of these things do wind up mattering. And that's why I started following them as, as far back as I did. Yeah, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I, I've been thinking about that Memphis, that Minnesota, uh, I mean, look, you can even just go back over the last week. I mean, you were at you were at the Milwaukee-Denver game, right? Yeah. I mean, look, if Milwaukee doesn't make a comeback from down 18, what, 18 at the start of the fourth quarter? Was that what yeah. it was? 
I mean, they're they're not even eligible. They're, they don't even have a chance to make the playoffs or the win tomorrow. I mean, that's how uh, that's how razor thin some of these margins are. And you don't look back over. You know, it's easy to like look at eighty-one games and kind of forget about some of that. But it is it is pretty wild when you go back and look at some of these coin flip games that broke one way or the other. Like you said, it, it all it all has led up to the situation we're in now, where we've got all these teams that are stuck in uh, in limbo until tomorrow night, and it's it's all because all those coin flips went in a certain way that if you try to do them all again, they almost certainly would never wind up in that same scenario again. Yeah. And it, it, what the season has taught me too is, you know, you got 82 games and you're just trying to get through it. And it's a marathon, not a sprint, all this other stuff. But part of what I've really learned and the Spurs are kind of the most indicative of, of this because the Spurs have really the worst resume of any of the playoff teams. They're the worst versus teams over 500. Uh, they've got one of the worst point differentials. They've got no weapons. They've been without Kawhi all year. Like, they shouldn't be in the spot that they're in. They should not have already clinched, but they have. And the reason they have is who they beat. Like, the lesson is it the doesn't Spurs matter. beat who you're supposed to, who they're supposed to be. Exactly. Like, beat teams that are under 500, pick up some wins versus specifically your division, and you are going to be okay. If you win home games, teams in your own division – and teams in your conference, like you are, you are going to get into the playoffs. Think and, about that Memphis Denver game, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a perfect example. I mean, you know, if Denver just beats Memphis in that game, uh, Denver is in the playoffs, and tomorrow yeah. is for seeding instead yeah. of for their lives. All of this stuff winds up having huge implications down the stretch, and you know, this one is it's an outlier year with all of the different scenarios, and we, you know, it, it, there are less actually after Saturday night specifically. If if things had gone differently on Saturday night, if the favorites had won on Saturday, it was going to be really nuts over the next last, next couple of days for what happens. Um, but even now, like the seedings, I mean, and you think about it, it's really fascinating too because I don't know if you're if if you're looking at okay, we could wind up in the seven or the eight. You know, if you're the Pelicans, um, are you looking at it and saying, okay, well, we, you definitely want to win, but if we don't win, then who do we want to win? Because that could change. Like all of this stuff winds up altering so many things about who you face in the first round, and that changes your chances of advancing. It's it's really crazy how this has worked out. No, it really is. Now let, let's get into this Denver Minnesota game because I mean, for those that don't know uh, from following Matt on Twitter, Matt lives. Uh, outside of Denver, he is around the Nuggets as much as anybody in the market and and in the league, frankly, because Denver is not the easiest place to get to. And uh, their season to me has been fascinating. But what do you what do you make of this game uh, tomorrow? Just looking at you know you were at the game last night when Denver pulled out this win over uh, over over Portland uh, late their sixth straight win to go into this game with Minnesota in Minneapolis to kind of determine everything. How do you, how do you view it as we, as we await for it? And what, you know, we never get in the NBA, which is a true, you know, play in game to see who's going to make the, the playoffs. After Michael Malone's press conference last night, after the game, uh, he walked by me in the hall and I just kind of looked at him and it was, a, and I looked at him and just said, you guys are unkillable. And he kind of laughed. He walked off and he just said, call us Rasputin. Which is funny because the guy's always basically blasting my vocabulary and saying I use words, that <laughs> and then he drops a Rasputin reference on me. There, you know, I, I, I talked to Paul Millsap after the Milwaukee game, the Pacers game, after the Pacers game, and uh, he mentioned that they stopped looking at the standings after the loss to the Raptors. They lost to Toronto. They blew a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter on the road, and they stopped looking at the standings. They were just like, "Look, 
you know, we just got to win. We can't be worried about what else is going on. We've just got to, we just have to worry about us. And they really did. Like they stopped focusing on who was where and what was going to go on because they basically knew, look, we got to win out. Like that's it. We, we got to win from now, from now until the end of the season. And that kicked off the start of this run. And it's been really impressive to see them dig down and they've won, you know, Paul Millsap and Nikola Jokic have shot under 500, significantly under 500, the last two home games that they've played, and they've still managed to find ways to win. They are winning scrappy games, which is not their comfort zone. It's not their preferred style. It's not how their team is built, but they are definitely just finding ways to get there. And a lot of it's just tenacity. Um, these guys, I think, are in a different headspace from where they were a year ago, which is like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Like we're in the playoff picture. Like, Oh, neat. And this year it's no, like we're not going home again. They could have, have laid rolled over versus Portland. That would have been what I would have expected them to Hell, do. Hell, They could have rolled over in the Milwaukee game. Not that it was quite the same situation, but I mean, I was just wildly impressed by the way they fought back in that game. I mean, not that just, they knew it would matter, but they, they didn't, you know, most teams in the NBA down 18 at the start of the fourth quarter are in kind of checkout mode just cooked yeah and they just dug in uh it, it's they're in a place where they've had to go there but they've gotten it done and when, that's what sets up wednesday is so fascinating is you got this team that simply refused to lose but they're on the road versus a team with two all-stars to their none uh a team that's back healthy with jimmy butler um a team that you know they they lost both times too when Butler played, but they didn't have Millsap uh, in what's going to be a crazy environment in Minnesota, looking for their first playoff appearance since 2004. And like this is like the the ideal situation for the NBA. Like the NBA could not have asked. I can't for believe they can't get this game on ESPN tomorrow. I realize they have Sixers Bucks, which does have ramifications for different things, but I I I can't. I don't know how they can't have that game on national TV. Uh, it yeah, seems like just a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I'm waiting to see what they would do. Like, it, it's crazy to me that they can't be like, all right, we're going to put it. Because remember, they did it for the the Kobe Warriors year. And I get that those are two casual fan events, right? Like Kobe Bryant's last game versus the Warriors going for 73. Right. Uh, but, so you, like that, we, but you never get a playing game like this. Yeah, like it, it just, you have to, to me, it would be, I mean, maybe they'll figure out a way to do it today or they can't for maybe some, maybe Minnesota's up against their limit and they can't bend it or something. I don't know. It's just, to me, it, it, it would be crazy. Um, to not have the game on national TV. But I wanted to ask you something. Uh, as a as somebody who is a longtime Chiefs fan, and I, mm. I can ask this question as somebody who grew up near Buffalo, uh, as a longtime Chiefs fan, what do you think of my theory that it is much better for Denver, despite the fact they've been a terrible road team most of the season, to be playing this game on the road in Minnesota? Because I feel like the fans at the Target Center tomorrow night are going to be ready for the worst to happen. And yes. if Denver gets off to a good start, I could see that place getting really tense. And even though the, the Bulls do have some vets, I could see that becoming a really tense atmosphere and that could actually work against the Timberwolves. Yeah, I think conversely, I think if it was in Denver, you'd see the same thing. Right, and that's what I was thinking because like, like both of those fan bases are kind of in a similar place. And I, I feel like being on the road, you know, usually, obviously, you'd prefer to be at home in this scenario. I feel like in this game, it might actually be a positive for Denver to be in Minnesota for that game. They've been so bad on the road. Uh, they've been better the last two weeks. It's just that Denver, you know, their season, if they miss the playoffs, 
you really will point to because like their their record versus the playoff teams is actually really good. Like they have good records. They went three and one versus Oklahoma City, two and one versus New Orleans. They split with the Warriors. They split with the Spurs. If they make the playoffs, I think they'll be twelve and fourteen or or, or so against playoff teams, which is an awfully good record given you know yeah. the teams at the top of the West. Which is and it's mostly caused that's by, just Western uh, Conference teams too, to be clear. Yeah, it's mostly caused by Houston, which absolutely owns them. Right. Um, so they're, if they look back and they're like, we missed the playoffs, it just really does come down to, you know, we lost on the road. And they lost on the road uh, specifically going east a lot. And that and they're they're playing a Western Conference team, but they're they're going east on this one. Um, so there's a lot of ways that it's not great, but I do agree that if you're going into this kind of environment, the crowd will be amped to start. But if you pop off an 8-0 run to start that game, the, this is the weird thing is, Denver was the one that was trying to maintain a spot all year. Like they were, they were in the playoffs in almost the entire time up until late March, and then they fell out and they've been out since, and they're trying to get back in to reclaim uh, reclaim eighth or seventh. Actually, was how it would work. But um, now they're actually in a better position because they're still trying to hunt them down versus it being like you played so well in November and December, and now you're just like. We just got to hold on, and they haven't been able to. Like The Wolves could have put this away a million times in the last month, and they've just blown it time and time again. The Butler injury is obviously a huge part of that, but some of this stuff is just, man, just beat Memphis. Like Just handle your business versus some – like beat the Hawks. Handle your business versus some of these teams, and you're in a great spot. Memphis, now, Denver's in the exact same spot because if they beat Memphis to start their seven-game road trip, they'd be in right now. Um, but I do think that being the team going on the road when you're the hunter and not the hunted, I think is the preferred environment to be in. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at Minnesota's schedule right now. I mean, they lost they lost at home to Memphis. Even worse than losing at Memphis. They lost at Chicago. They lost at Atlanta. Uh they lost at Orlando. Uh, you know, they lost at Brooklyn. Um, you know, they lost home to Phoenix. They lost at Memphis again early in this, you know, even I think even at that point, Mike Conley was out. I mean, you you go back. I mean, you know, and like we've already talked about the Memphis loss for for Denver. And and yeah, like Denver, if Denver had that Memphis win alone, they would have clinched a playoff spot. Uh, you know, I, I think they would have clinched a playoff spot last night. Um, yep. You know, it's just it, it is crazy that um, it's going to come down to that. So with that, with all that being said, who wins the game tomorrow first? Yeah. God, I'll go first. I think Denver is going to win. I'm going to stick with my thought that the road team is going to be better off. I don't, I, I don't think Jimmy Butler is going to really be able to play 36 minutes. Um, he only played 23 last night. I, I can't imagine if he's going to play more than 30. Uh, you know, maybe he'll run it to the wire. I just, but I just can't see it. And I, I just think Denver is locked in. They've got Gary Harris back. He played 18 or 20 minutes last night. He'll be able to play a little more. I just feel like the, the the Nuggets are going to find a way to to get this done and and, and make it. I buried Denver two weeks ago. I wrote, <laughs> actually, that means they're going to make it. <laughs> I wrote a column literally uh, outlining how they were like, okay, this is how the Nuggets, you know, pretty much are going to make the playoffs. Great piece, by the way, which I, I'm going to link to in the pod uh, <laughs> blog. It was really really good. And then this happened. Then they rattled off this huge win. Um, including Michael Malone, uh, let's see, uh, after the Bucks game, said, some people in this circle have written us off. And that was- <laughs> <laughs> um, I 
I'm going to go against them again, though. I'll tell you this, because Denver has a, a really bad habit of validating its critics at the very last moment, yep. of setting yep. it up to where the people that have supported them and been like, this team is good, and they're on the right path, and they've done the right things, and, and all of these things. And then at the very last minute, they become the team that like everyone kind of dismisses. And that's even here in town, in Denver. I think that that goes on a lot. And, and so on the road, this is the big one. You're on the road versus Jimmy Butler. Like, if you line up the best players in this game, like, number one is Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he's, num- yeah, he's number one with a bullet for sure. And then number two is probably Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I think it's Towns pretty easily. And then just barely behind him is Jokic. And then, you know, but then you're talking, like, then it gets interesting. Because right. then you're looking at it and you're like, well, no, I'll take Paul Millsap over anybody else that the Wolves have. Uh, and then I'm probably taking Gary Harris over Taj Gibson or Jamal Crawford. Um, and then I'm taking, you know, uh, Will Barton over Andrew Wiggins. So like Denver has a better one through seven, uh, but Towns and Butler get to decide what happens in this game. Yep. I just can't believe that Denver is going to be able to find like a scrap level to win the kind of, it's going to be tight. That's part of what I think is happening with Denver is the Clippers game of the Clippers have just given up on life. And so Denver exploded for 134 points, but versus these playoff teams, you're seeing it like everyone's tense. All of these players are all really tense and it makes for a bad shooting game. And even though the wolves defense is horrible, the Nuggets defense is somehow worse. So I have to give like the slightest of edges uh, to Minnesota. I, w- I will say this, though. Look, if Denver hits its threes, it's a blowout. Like, end, of, end, end of conversation. If right. Denver hits three-pointers, Minnesota can't keep up with them offensively. Yep. But I, I can't believe in their ability to do that on the road in this 10. This is essentially an on-the-road game seven. And you and I have seen enough of those to know how they usually go. They usually – it's not often that uh, the team wa- that's home walks off defeated like I watched the Brooklyn Nets get destroyed by the emaciated Chicago Bulls. That yes. led to Jason Kidd getting hired and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce – getting traded there and uh, the fate of the NBA changing. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't happen often. But And I think, to your point, if, if I knew Jimmy Butler could play 35 minutes, I would pick Minnesota to win. Um, but they've been so bad without him that I, I just and I, I just don't think he's going to be able to play more than 30 minutes. And I, I just, to your point, I, Denver's got enough firepower and enough depth, because I do like their overall depth, even though I think the two best players in the game are pretty clearly on Minnesota. I, I'm going to go with Denver, but... I can't wait for that game. I mean, it's just not often we get a game like that, and I think it's going to be it's going to be so much fun to sit and watch that from start to finish. Um, but at the same time, there's a thousand other things going on in the league at the same time uh, as as you've been documenting. And without we don't need to go through like every scenario because it would take six hours to do that. But um, what are you hoping to see over the next couple days in terms of if you could map out the playoffs in each conference the way you would like to see it from a basketball observer standpoint? How would you like to look at it? Hang on, let me pull up my flowchart. <laughs> <laughs> Which you tweeted out before and was amazing. <laughs> uh, the, the biggest thing here, I think, is I want chaos. So if you want chaos, you want the Thunder to lose. If the Thunder somehow lose to Memphis, if they just half-ass it, Marshawn Brooks goes off for 30 and Westbrook misses a game winner that he, he should have made made or whatever – then you have like real genuine chaos. Then right. you've got scenarios where Oklahoma City slips down to the eight or the seven and all of this stuff gets really wild uh, because Oklahoma City loses almost all of its tiebreaker scenarios. So to me, that's like the, the starting block is, is I really want to see um, – I want to see Oklahoma City 
versus the really good teams because Oklahoma City's ceiling is higher, but their floor is lower. And that's yes. been the case since Robertson went out. So I'm worried that what we're going to get is like Jazz Thunder, and then it winds up being, oh, well, Paul George got hurt in game three, and you know the Jazz got by. And like the Jazz are a good team, and I think Donovan Mitchell's going to be a superstar. And- I feel like Jazz Thunder would be like uh, Jazz Clippers last year. Yeah. Minus the Blake Griffin injury. Like, assuming everybody's healthy, I feel like the Jazz would just find a way to win that series. Yeah. And then, you know, in the second round, the Jazz play play Houston, and Houston's just the final. Now, I, I have some concerns about Jazz-Houston because I just keep looking at Houston. I, I've been, I've been like, I've been writing them and saying they're the only team that can beat the Warriors for two years now. Like I said, <laughs> last year. Right. And I said this year, like, ten times over. I like, remember we were at, I mean, we were both at that game six. Yeah. <laughs> we were both there yeah. going, what the hell just happened? How did James Harden become like one of us playing in this game? And the, well, the Spurs won game. by 50 yeah, without Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> you weren't there. In pre-game in the media room, when Pop said, when like, he came out, like, all right, Kawhi's out, out. He's out, out, out. Like, I I turned to, to Jeff McDonald from, uh, from the San Antonio Express news, and I was like, the Spurs are winning this game. Yeah, I remember. I remember. You, I do remember. You, I will give you full credit. I remember you saying that. I was sitting because there when you said that, it. That's how San Antonio is. Yep. It's like, it's like guy goes down. Oh, they win. Um, there's. I think some of the weirder scenarios in play um, are. are I, I like the idea of uh, Nuggets Warriors because the Nuggets actually have one of the better marks in the league versus Golden State through the last couple of years, and. The Nuggets are just going to play an up-tempo, fast style, and that would be fascinating to watch with the Warriors without Curry. Where all of a sudden the Warriors are kind of like the more sluggish, you know, ISO possession, reliant on the superstar team, and the Nuggets are the one whipping the ball around. Like, there's a good chance the Golden State just rips the hinges off with their offense and tears that defense to pieces. Yeah. But it was- it, 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 the style would be fun. I, I I don't think that Denver will be able to defend well enough. So uh-huh. that's why I think from a Golden State standpoint, Denver would be the best matchup they could get of the five teams. Uh, but that being said, I would enjoy watching it. And uh, and Jokic, you know, Jokic and that offense going up against, I mean, it would be a fun contrast. And like you said, it would be so much different than what people think of when they think of Golden State without Curry that I, I'm with you. I, I would, I think it'd be fun to watch and interesting to see how it go, even though I don't think it would work out well for Denver. Um, you're yeah. right. I mean, they're two and two this year against Golden State. There's not many teams that could say that. Posting Up is sponsored by Zeal. Want to know the only thing better than getting a massage? Getting a massage in the comfort of your own home. Introducing Zeal. Bring the spa to you and try Zeal today. Right now, go to zeal.com and enter promo code POSTINGUP to get $20 off your first in-home massage. That's promo code POSTINGUP. Yeah, if if OKC wins and San Antonio wins, then no matter what, New Orleans is eighth. And I'm really excited about Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday versus that Houston team. I'll because, tell you what, Drew Holiday has been yeah maybe the most underrated player in the whole league this season. Like nobody Freaks. talks about him at all. And I was looking up, I put him uh, first team all defense on my awards ballot yesterday, and like. The, the, the Pelicans, I think, are nine points per 100 possessions better defensively with him on the court, which is insane. It's completely insane. I mean, he's, he's just had 
a remarkable season. And like everybody obviously points to Davis as the reason why New Orleans is going to make the playoffs even without DeMarcus Cousins. But, you know, Drew Holiday, to your point, and you've been banging the drum, I know, for a while. Uh, Drew Holiday has not gotten nearly enough credit for the way he has played for that team this year. He's been tremendous. Uh, there's a lot of them, I think, that are interesting. Like a, a San Antonio-Portland 4-5 matchup, that one actually seems like it's similar styles. I like the idea of Dame having to take out kind of like the the old-school power. The, well, and, and, and LaMarcus against the Blazers in a playoff series would be pretty great. I mean, great. from a storyline standpoint, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in that than I am in like OKC versus Golden State, which is I believe there's only two scenarios in which that in which that's how that occurs. Like OKC cannot wind up in the in the. There's uh, no way Oklahoma City's losing to Memphis. Uh, just yeah, there's no way. Right. So. Um, and that's less to do with Oklahoma City and more to do with Memphis. Like Memphis will not. Yes. Like, if, they to, <laughs> if they have to, then 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 JB is going to be like, mm, I'm just going to kick Marshawn Brooks in the leg real yes. quick. Yes. Yes. Oh no, you look hurt. No, I'm fine, coach. <laughs> plus no, the no, other. Plus, you better get back to the locker room. Plus the other thing is, and people are probably going to get mad at me for saying this, but Westbrook needs 16 rebounds to average a triple double for the season, and I don't think there's any way he comes out of the game to his 16 rebounds. So, <laughs> right, so I, getting- I think so. They're going to play everybody. Uh, even if they're up to the bitter end, uh, I think to make sure they get the stats. So, and like a, uh, the more likely scenarios, like um, you know, a Minnesota uh, six three versus Portland is kind of interesting, just because of a, a clash of styles. Um, there's a lot of these I think that are that are really fascinating. To be honest with you, the first round I think is going to be more interesting in the East. Like I, I genuinely, I'm with I, you. I think the first round has a chance to be fascinating because I'm yeah. not convinced Philly wins in the first round, even though I saw them play Cleveland the other day and think they're in great shape. Uh, and I, I obviously Boston is up for grabs. If somehow the if the Wizards wind up in the eight seed, I I know they're a train wreck right now, but them going up against the the Raptors would be fascinating. Uh, there, there's a lot that can happen out there that has me really interested. Well, like uh, uh, the most likely scenario that we're looking at, if you look at the schedules, is Philadelphia and Joel Embiid facing Milwaukee and Giannis. You get Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid with Markel Fultz, J.J. Redick, and Covington versus the Bucks with Giannis and Bledsoe and Middleton. Like that's a there's a lot of talent in that six three. That it's all young. Like, that's a great showcase of where the league is at like that's that to me i think is a great three six that could be surprisingly really competitive um and the thing is it's one of those series where it would start and people would be like eh but by the end of it with joel and Bede like constantly posting instagram trash talk and like Giannis <laughs> clapping back at him because like you know this like Giannis has got a Giannis has got an attitude and Giannis will not take yeah, he doesn't back down from anybody even though he's a nice guy the thing is, though, I don't think that series is going to happen because I, I think the most likely scenario is Miami, Washington, Milwaukee, personally, because I think Milwaukee is going to lose. And I think Miami is going to beat the Raptors because the Raptors will have nothing to play for. And I think the Wizards are going to win these two games, which would then have us have Philly, Miami, would have Boston, Washington, and would have Milwaukee, Toronto. Right. Um, I want to see. I don't want to see Milwaukee, Toronto. That's the one I don't want to see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not just because we saw it last year, but because right. I, I went back and did, and, did, and did film work on Toronto versus uh, even after Milwaukee stopped going all out blitz like they did under Kid. Like Prunty still has them hedging aggressively and kind of overplaying the passing lanes. Like yep. that's still their endemic style. Yep. And Toronto basically figured out like, oh, like there's a three pass sequence where we'll beat that every single time. 
oh, and they'll just create corner threes all day long, which, to be honest, maybe that's not bad because then, like, all right, Milwaukee, which has been kind of a mess, can get fired or can get out of the playoffs, and then they can go get another coach and just get that started. And then Toronto, <laughs> we don't have to deal with. We don't have to deal with, here we go again. Like I just want Toronto to lose its first game. Yeah, I know. That's all I want. That's not a knock on the Raptors. I love Toronto. I love the Raptor fans. But yeah, I, I want them to lose their first game just because it would be hilarious. To, to have 10 straight game one losses would be incredible. And the fans there would go insane. That's why, honestly, to me, if they play Washington, that would be fascinating. Because yeah. Wall and Beal have a chance. It can be the two best players in that series. And if they're healthy and they, they, get, they get their act together going into the postseason, that... Like, they could easily go up there and win game one, and everybody there would completely lose their mind if that happened, which would be great. This is what's crazy about Washington is, is they're this mess, and everyone's piling on them, and they're still sniping at each other in the media, and it's this whole just – they're just disgusted with how they play in the regular season. If they get Toronto, they are walking into that building expecting to win game Oh, one. they'll be expecting to get to the Eastern Conference Finals minimum at that point. Yeah. Minimum. Yeah, like they – that that's the that is the thing about the Wizards. I tell people all the time, like the Wizards specialize in dysfunction. This is what they do, and then they get in the playoffs, and John and Brad ball out. I mean, they, they've done that. Like that is the one thing I'll say about those guys is that they, time and again, have stepped up and produced in the playoffs. And I expect they're going to do the same this year. John, I think, is healthy. Um, you know, the Wizards have looked great in the two games he's played, and they've looked terrible in the two games he's missed. He's going to be playing in the playoffs. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I. I that's not a team I would want to see. And frankly, I'm hoping they wind up in the seventh seed because I think they would beat Boston in a series. And I personally, just from a uh, just from a neutral standpoint of wanting to see good games, I would love to see Toronto, Cleveland, and Washington, Philly in the second round because I think those would be two really entertaining series. You talk about Joel and be trash talking people between the Wizards and the Sixers. There would just oh. be nonstop trash talk. It would be like last year's Celtics series on steroids. And then uh, you have the Toronto-Cleveland again. And then you have either, uh, you know, assuming Cleveland wins, you either have Wizards-Cavs when the Wizards finally get to back up their talk for before the season that the Cavs are afraid of them. Or you get Cavs-Sixers, which would be fascinating on a whole other series of levels. So, I mean, that, that for me, from my standpoint, that is the path that I would like to see happen um, just as a neutral observer because I think it would be the most fun for us as, you know, watching and writing about this stuff to see how it shook out. Uh, I do. Feel, I will say this. I feel like we're probably underestimating Boston. Like I'll probably that's one of the angles I'm going to be writing a lot about in the next couple of days. Is uh, there? There's still an expectation that the Wizards or that the Celtics are going to be favored in their first round series, but it's going to be real tight for the series price. And I think we're probably underestimating what Boston uh, is capable of without Kyrie. I don't know, man. They just can't. My thing with them, like, look, Brad Stevens has been unbelievable this year. I picked him Coach of the Year. But when you go into that series without Smart, without Irving, and without Gordon Hayward, even though I know Gordon Hayward hasn't been there the whole time, like I just feel like their series is going to go like that Toronto game the other day when it was 96-78, and of those 78 points, Marcus Morris scored 21 of them. Like I just don't see, I just don't see how that Celtics team is going to be able to score enough in a seven-game series when teams can really hone in on their guys. Like you know, you know how this works during the regular season. Teams aren't like really game planning for this specific team when they come in, right? They kind of have their thing. They tweak some stuff every game, but they're not like shifting stuff on a game by game basis for the most part. But you, you go into a playoff series and everybody zeroes in on everything that's going on with your team. They just have so many guys that can't score. Like, I I mean, maybe Jason Tatum could average 25 points a game in a series as a rookie and like carry them to a victory in the first round. But like, I, I just can't, 
That's the thing that hangs me up. I think they'll play enough defense to stick around in games. I don't think they're going to get run off the court. I just can't see how they're going to score enough to win four games against a decent team in the first round. There's two things to consider. One, if they play Washington or if they play Milwaukee, you have a real trap here where the— I do like—I would like them, I think, to beat Milwaukee because of the stuff they've done all year. I will say that. So, like, if they face the Wizards, the Wizards have the best talent— but the problem is the Wizards would know it. Like the Wizards, <laughs> like, yes. The yes. Wizards have to play as if like nobody believes in us. I'll show you. Yes. That's how. The, like that's how they wind up winning when they're like everyone thinks the team is good. No, that, we're good. That is we'll a great point. You. That is a great and, point. If, if, but if they go into that Celtics series, they're going to be expected in the not uh, in the markets. But generally, when we talk about them, they're going to be expected to win. And that's a horrible position for a team that is undisciplined versus this is the best thing with Boston is they're just disciplined. They're just not they're not going to beat themselves. And if you don't beat yourself, then you're going to have a chance to take advantage of what that other team does. And so Milwaukee and Washington, I think, are vulnerable against them. Like Miami, I think, is is probably a little bit scarier, honestly, because, you know, the Celtics are if they're going to win. You're right. It's going to have to be with defense. And I don't know how Boston defends Miami because it's like, all right, we're going to take out uh, crap. There's like no one that's actually essential to their offense. They right. just kind of all score well. And I, um, I feel like I feel like without Hayward and 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 Kyrie in particular, I feel like Miami is almost a more talented version of what Boston is now. Right. Really well coached team, really disciplined team, good defensive team that's not going to really beat itself. Uh, and 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 like like you said, the difference is. Not only do they can they go to a lot of different guys, but like they've got Goran Dragic, they've got Johnson, they've got Tyler Johnson who could play a little James Johnson, they've got Tyler Johnson who could play a little bit off the bench. Justice Winslow's been better lately. Like they can just throw, like they can just give the ball to guys all over the place. And like you look at the you look at the Celtics, like Al Horford is a great player. He's not going to score twenty five points a game, even right. if you need him to. So you you're giving the ball to Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum and even Jalen Brown to an extent. And Marcus Morris, like I, if Brad, I mean, maybe Brad Stevens could pull that off, and if he can, props to him. And I do think they would beat Milwaukee in the first round just just through discipline. Um, probably, I think I would pick them to win a, a tight series. But I, I just, I think it's, it's. I'm with you. I think if they play Miami, uh, or I think Washington is the best team of those three. But I think Miami is the most disciplined. And to your point, I th- I do think that makes them the worst matchup for Boston in that sense because they will not be the team that beats themselves. You're in the Bay. You covered the Warriors for two years. I got to know, like, is there any team? They're never going to be worried because they're the champs. And they the answer have, is no. <laughs> they have, is, there, is there any team that they're just like, oh, man, I don't want to deal with that team just because they're annoying? I don't really think so. Um, I mean, they. I mean, I think here's the thing about Golden State. Golden State was ready to – Golden State wanted to get to the All-Star break, Right. They wanted yeah. to get. They wanted to get everybody healthy, get to the All Star break, be ready to go and do what they did last year, like going to the playoffs, playing well, and go roll through the playoffs. Right. Well, they get to the All Star break. They come out of the second half. They win a couple games, and then everybody gets hurt. Yep. So they haven't had a chance to like really ramp it up the way that they wanted to. That being said, they were basically on pace with Houston all year yep. without ever caring until yep. everybody got hurt. Yep. So that's why, to me, I don't think there's anybody that's really remotely as good as them if they're healthy. Um, I mean, people like people saying that they are in somehow in trouble in the first round or like vulnerable in the first round. They still have a better three players, I think, than any team in the league. I agree. Um, so, like, I I don't really get that part of it. 
And yeah, I mean, look, I think Houston would, obviously Houston is the best team in the league besides them. That's the one team that I think could beat them. I'm with you on that. Uh, but at the same time, they are 100% not worried about going to Houston for a playoff series and winning. Um, and I, I think from their standpoint, they just want to get Steph back at the start of the second round, which I think is what everybody has targeted. Get him, you know, it's five weeks from when he got hurt. Get him the full five weeks, have him ready to go at the start of the second round. And if, if they're healthy, I think they're going to cruise through the playoffs. It won't be quite the same cruise as last year when they went 16-1 and one and went 15 in a row. Like, I think Houston probably win a game or two, probably two games. Um, but I think if they get to the finals, they're going to roll whoever they play there. And I think, you know, maybe they struggle a little bit in the first round. Maybe they lose a couple games if Steph isn't without Steph. But even then, I think, you know, I, I, I still expect when they get to the playoffs, they're going to ramp it up. I mean, they just haven't cared at all. Right. And people like it's hard to say that because then people get wound up about what are these guys doing? They're paid to play, blah, blah, blah. They should care. But like they they've played 330 games or whatever the last three years. Like they're just they're like waiting for April. Now they're getting started. And I think you can I think you can criticize Steve Kerr a little bit for the way he's handled that because he's kind of excused them uh, for not caring at all. And he's kind of said from like literally since September, like. Basically, hey, it's okay not to care because we have to play all these games. Um, but that being said, they were just trying to get to the All-Star break and ramp up, and then everybody got hurt. So I, I think if they've been healthy or relatively healthy for the last six weeks, or even if uh, Zaza hadn't fallen into Steph's leg or JaVale, whoever, it was JaVale, I guess. Even if JaVale hadn't fallen into Steph's leg, I still think they'd have rattled off a bunch of wins here and things would look a lot different anyway. I, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I'm still going to pick the Warriors to win the title. Um, just because I think Houston can probably drag it to six or seven. Like, I think it's very likely that they get a seven. And and this is where home court gets interesting, because if, if Houston does pick up that extra game, right, they get, like, the Harden game, where James where it's just like, man, James Harden was just the best player on the floor that night. Okay, that's possible. That can happen. Look, it, uh, could, be, it could be like Thunder Warriors a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. think about that game. Like, I was at, I don't remember if you were at that game or not, but I was there, and... Oklahoma City was at home in game six. Uh, they win that game probably north of 95% of the time, the way it played out. Yep. And a Hall of Fame player had the best game of his career, and they lost. Yeah. You know, and but, James Harden could do that in game it, six, and right. then they go home and win. Like, that could happen. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's where home court, I think, it's really fascinating because every single metric leans so heavily in a game seven towards the home team, and it's primarily because you shoot better at home. Yep. And with Houston, that's a huge variable because if they hit their threes, they're just going to outpace you in three-point. And that's even true for Golden State. As much as Golden State set off this revolution, they're much more two-point balanced than the Rockets are at this point. So like, there's all these scenarios, but I still wind up being like, but they got Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant could just beat James Harden's best game, and that could be it. Um, yeah, I mean, talent so, just wins out, right? Yeah, And they so just have more I- talent. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I agree with you. We're in the same place. Right. I will say this is that I am – last year I couldn't construct a real argument for how Golden State could lose. Like I got asked on radio stations constantly like, okay, just tell me how. And I'm like, I can't. Man. <laughs> yeah, you, like, and me, you and me both. <laughs> like, there's no scenario. There's no right. way – without an injury, I cannot plausibly do it. Not only do we have the injuries this year, but you have what is definably a worse bench. Like it is – Yes. Appropriately that is the thing. If you – I've been saying this all year. If you want to construct an argument that Golden State loses in the playoffs, it's because the rest of their team is bad. 
Yeah. And that's why, to me, it's been interesting to see, in particular, Andre Iguodala play a lot better lately over the last month. Um, because, I, I mean, David West had this weird... I, don't, I still don't even know what happened because I was covering the NCAA tournament at the time. He had this weird cyst on his arm that he like, didn't play for three weeks with. I don't really know what happened with that. Um, but like David West has been great for them this year and is a real stabilizing force at the start of the second and fourth quarters. And I think it hurt them a lot that he wasn't there for a while. And Iguodala's been up and down. Nick Young has been okay. He's been better lately, but he's largely been bad. Um, John Livingston has not been quite as good as in the past. So yep. if those guys struggle, you know, especially in a series with Houston where their supporting cast has been amazing this year, I, I do think that is the path to them losing. If a team like Houston is hot from three and they're supporting guys when they're left open, and, and that includes Draymond Green, whose shot has been off this year and he's had some shoulder issues. If their supporting guys are not hitting shots, then all of a sudden I think things get a little more interesting than they would like. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. The other thing is I just think um, I've been thinking a lot about motivation. I've been thinking about a lot of, about what it takes uh, to be able to find focus and energy in a basketball game. Uh, I, I was talking to Millsap in that same conversation that I was talking about, about earlier about how they stopped looking at the standings. And I asked him, I was like, Does that, is that kind of proof that you can't manufacture effort and focus? Like you can't use, oh, wait, we got to win this game because the standings say if we don't, we're going to be in eighth place and out by half. Like you can't do that. It's got to be internal. And he was like, that's not just basketball. That's life. He's like, if you're trying to use external forces, you're never going to be able to generate as much motivation as it is if it's internal. And yep. for three years, the Warriors had an internal drive to humiliate everyone. Like they wanted every to year, burn. they had a reason to care. They 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 wanted to burn the building down. Like last year, it was validating KD and getting revenge on the Cavs, and you know, putting themselves right where they where they needed to be. And now, like, this is the biggest thing: is uh, Draymond's impact gets really overlooked. And when he's had as bad of a year as he has had, like not only shooting, but with injuries, and honestly, like his defensive effort has just been absent. Like he's just does, like you said, like doesn't care. And my thing is, is again, I want to restate this with you: Warriors going to win the title. But I've seen teams. I keep going back to the 2011 Lakers, who were older, so the comparison is not the same, and we're not as good as this Warriors team. But that 2011 Warriors team was like, or Lakers team was like oh, we'll just flip the switch. And then they got there, and it just wasn't there. Like, they just they flipped it, and it just wasn't there. They just did not have it. Yeah. And that, to me, is the kind of combination of concern. So there's, like, a way you can construct a reasonable argument that Golden State might not win the title. My problem is is that's just such a low bar that we're talking about in most seasons that last year has warped our thinking into that becoming like a real thing versus it's a probability, but we're talking 25% here. I actually think the better Laker team to compare the Warriors to is the 2001 Lakers. Yeah. And they haven't, they haven't 
sloughed off to quite the degree that that team did because that team, I just looked it up, they were, I believe, 20th in defense that year. But that was a team where they, you know, kind of floated. They were 20th, exactly. They kind of floated along, and people weren't sure about them. They had injuries. I think that was one of the years Shaq took a chunk of time off for, you know, getting for paid rehab, as he called it. Um, and then they got in the playoffs, and they steamrolled everybody. And the league wasn't in quite the same place as it is now, then. And I think it was easier for them to do that. But I, that's kind of where I'm at. I just, I, and you're right. They could, they could have misplayed this the whole time. And there are some people at the Warriors that worry about that. That they haven't been focused the way they needed to be all year long. And now they have to do it. But I, I really do think that um, they're ready to go mentally. And I, I think when they get in the playoffs, I think they're going to be able to turn it up and win. But, you know, look, Houston... I give them all the credit in the world. They have come out this year. They've had their pedal down to the floor from the start. They're switching all the time which I on defense, which I think could really help them against Golden State because that's something they've drilled in every day for six months. They've thought about playing them every day for six months. You know, Chris Paul's had a bunch of losses to them. James Harden has had losses to them. Mike D'Antoni has gotten there close multiple times and not gotten there. They have a team of hungry guys. And to your point, like, they might just end up wanting it more. And that might be enough to make the difference. So I'm not going to pick against Golden State. I think they have the best team. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to win fairly comfortably. But I think that's the one series that's going to really give them trouble. But if unlike last year, when I didn't see any scenario that they could lose, I do think there's a scenario they could lose to that Rockets team because they are really, really good. And they're built to contend with and beat this Warriors team in a way that nobody else has been yet. The problem is that Houston is specifically configured to beat just that Warriors team. <laughs> right. It makes them more vulnerable to the rest of the field. Yes. Like uh, the 2010 or 2009 Cavaliers were specifically designed to beat Boston. That's how that team was put together was, you know, we've got bigs inside to counter KG and Perk. And we've got these, you know, we've got guards that can stay with Rondo and do all these things. What it wasn't configured to do was to hang with an Orlando Magic team. That and had, had Dwight Howard and a bunch of shooters. Had Dwight Howard and a bunch of shooters and a combo 3-4 and Hito Turkoglu that could pass, play, make, and do all that kind of stuff the same way LeBron could. Like, that team just wasn't built to counter it. Um, and I, I don't look at Houston and think that they're as vulnerable because, one, like, this is one thing I've been saying consistently. Houston has done everything we could ask them to do to believe in them. Like, if you said, like, if Houston were to come to, to you know, basketball fans and media in preseason, be like, what do we have to do to convince you that we're the best team in basketball and we should win the title? We'd be like, okay, well, you have to be able to show that you can defend. You have to have a historic offense. You have to beat Golden State in the season series. You have to beat Oklahoma City in the season series. You have to have a dominant record versus the rest of the West. You have to take care of business at home. You have to be totally healthy. And James Harden has to win MVP. They've done all of it. Yep. Like, there's nothing on Houston's resume that you can point at and go, oh, but. Other than I the fact that they've failed in the playoffs a lot individually. Yes. And that's, Which, the, that's the thing they can't. And to your point, that's the thing they can't prove wrong until they do it. Yeah. And, they've done and everything just, else. Which is funny because we got the same thing for both one seeds. They just have drastically different expectations on what their ceiling is. Um, right. But like, but with Houston, I think also the other thing is um, it's weird, right? Because you know, you know this. Like, I, I'm always digging into the minutia of the season and the matchups and the play by play and how does the team defend the pick and roll. But there are certain narratives that play themselves out time and time again. Mike D'Antoni loses to Greg Popovich in playoff series. Um, the Houston Rockets 
lose to the Utah Jazz way more often than not in playoff series. Chris Paul, for whatever reason, finds something goes wrong and his team doesn't make the conference finals. Well, look, Chris Paul, for injuries, talking about injuries, Chris Paul has had a lot of hamstring injuries, both in his career and specifically this year. And if you told me, like, to me, I worry that Chris Paul is just going to pull up lame midway through one of these series, and that's going to change the course of all of this, which I really hope doesn't happen because what I do want to see is Warriors-Rockets healthy in the Western Conference Finals because I think that's the best series of of the whole playoffs. But like last year should have tossed this and this year's regular season definitely tossed this that like that's not likely to happen. Like yeah. I, I much as I hype the playoffs all year long and do like it's funny because I, I do the I tweet out like the NBA playoffs start in X days and people just lose their minds. They're just like right. I get right. my you know, because everyone's excited. Right. But I will in, in the next couple of days I'll be like, I just want to remind you that this means that in the next four days we're going to have a playoffs altering injury. And like that's a bummer. And but you go all- back every single year there's at least one injury that changes the playoffs in some form. Doesn't have to necessarily be Derrick Rose blowing his knee out, but it's, you know, Chris Paul getting hurt, pulling a hamstring. It's Steph, you know, slipping on a wet spot and hurting his knee. Um, You know, it's Kyrie and Kevin Love getting hurt. Kevin Love getting his arm pulled out of its socket by Kelly Olenek. I mean, it, it, stuff happens in the playoffs. It's two months of basketball. Like that's the other thing people forget. Like it's not as many games as the NBA or as the regular season, but like, Think about all the injuries that happen in a two-month span in the regular season. And now there's another two-month span of basketball, where even though there's not games every day, there's enough games for some fluke thing to happen, for somebody to fall into somebody's leg, for somebody to slip on the, on the wrong spot, for somebody to just step the wrong way. Like, and the moment that happens, everything can change. You know, It could be LeBron could finally get hurt this year. Steph could get hurt again. James Harden or Chris Paul could get hurt. Um, yeah, it could be anything. But you're right. They're more likely than not, Something's going to happen in the next few weeks that's going to change the entire tenor of this conversation in a way we can't see now from an injury standpoint. And that, that'll be one of the things that we think back on when we think back on this year, just like when Derrick Rose got hurt, when Steph got hurt, when uh, – I'm trying to think farther back of farther examples. But when Tim Duncan missed the playoffs with his, uh, with his knee injury, when Russell Westbrook got ran into and had his knee injury in the first game against the Rockets in yep. 2013, like – more likely than not, unfortunately, something like that's going to happen to put us in a spot where we have to talk about somebody getting hurt, changing the course of all of this. Yeah, and uh, it's unfortunate, but it's also there's also ways that uh, those injuries can set up failures that aren't foreseen. Like I try and explain to people uh, what happened last year in Houston in, in Rocket Spurs, and the simple answer is James Harden wet the bed in Game Six. The problem is, is that James Harden has wet the bed in series and in specific playoff series and in specific situations like that, like versus uh, the uh, Los Angeles Clippers in 2015, and they've still won. And the reason that the Rockets lost that game wasn't just uh, – and the series really – wasn't just that Harden uh, had that horrible game six. It was that Nene went down, and when Nene went down, it meant that if Clint Capella got in foul trouble – the Rockets had to go. The Rockets either had to play Montrez Harrell, yep, or they had to go to Ryan Anderson or and James Harden playing in the forward spots off switches. Yep, and that killed them. Yep, Nene's injury. Nene's injury really killed them. When you give San Antonio the opportunity to say, "No, no, we're we're still going to try and play small against you and try and space you out," that enables Golden uh, San Antonio 
to do what they want to do. When when San Antonio doesn't have a good choice, when they're like, crap, they can defend us inside and they can hit all these threes. That was that was the, the games that Houston won and looked good, great doing it. And when it switched was after that Nene injury. And you counter with like Tony Parker went down. But the difference was that when Parker went down, that meant more Patty Mills and Patrick Beverly couldn't track Patty Mills off ball. Like all of these things wind up, they don't always work out in the singular, oh, you lost a talented player Therefore, you're going to lose or your chance of losing increases. It's not as simple as that because there are ripple effects that are felt throughout it. Like in that series when Kawhi was out, uh, the Rockets probably would have been okay if it hadn't been for Jonathan Simmons being the exact perfect dude to step in (laughs) forward and play that specific role. And so all these opportunities uh, present themselves. That's what's cool about the playoffs, but it gets lost in kind of the big picture narratives of choking and failing in the clutch and all those things built off of star power because we missed performances like Jonathan Simmons carried that team in a really big way in games five and six to a win. And, um, you know, about how if you look at uh, with with Steph not 100%, um, the bench did a lot of the work in the Thunder series and in the first couple of games of that final, that's what's amazing is that 3-1 comeback the Cavaliers pulled off, people forget, like, the Splash Brothers were terrible in games one and two. Yep. They were really bad in games one and two in terms of, of their impact on the game. Uh, so these are all things, I think, that are interesting. And it's also fascinating to consider because, um, you know, one injury to Houston would would open up a huge door for um, Oklahoma, for the Warriors. But also, like... The last time that we saw Steph not at 100% in the playoffs, it did not work out well. And so that has a looming effect on as well. And the, the response is, but they have Kevin Durant now. And that's a valid one. Um, you also could argue that it should have worked out well if Draymond hadn't punched LeBron in, in the privates. They would have won that series in five games, even still, right. you know? Right. Um, so, like, all these things won the matter. That's what's crazy about the playoffs is individual sequences change absolutely everything the wizards probably go to the, to the eastern conference finals last year if marky morris doesn't sprain his ankle in game one yep that's all, how crazy like it you is. said it's all little it's all little um it's all little things like that that happen that that have a huge impact on how the rest of it plays out that's what makes that's for people like us who study this stuff every day that's what makes it so fun i want i don't want to keep you too much longer you've had a ton to do today but before we go i want to talk to you about the memphis situation since you're plugged in on that you know, being from the area and, and following that team. Um, Robert Para, as you know, people, at least that I had talked to expected, uh, agreed to buy out Daniel Strauss and Steve Kaplan, the other two minority owners involved in this awkward buy sell arrangement uh, for evaluation around $1.4 billion um, over the last couple of days. Um, just first, how do you see that whole situation now that we know what's kind of been expected in terms of, para taking over for them in the short term both how do you think it impacts uh the grizzlies as a big picture standpoint and how does it impact the fate of the front office there and interim coach jb bickerstaff after what obviously was a not so great season on the court for the grizzlies shit not great uh <laughs> i'm trying to be polite i honestly think that the biggest uh, element in play here is that um usually when you have an ownership situation resolved with the same owner taking over, it should inspire a degree of confidence towards stability. And I feel the opposite that, uh, para is in large part an absentee owner. He's very rarely in Memphis. He he never meets with the media. He doesn't make many appearances. Uh, There is a continuing, even from people that are close to the team, there is a continuing confusion over exactly how plugged in he is. Those scenarios very rarely work out well. 
Like Peter Holt is in San Antonio. He's involved in all conversations, but Popovich and Buford make all the decisions. That's probably how things should go in an ideal organization. I don't just say that because it's the Spurs and of their success. Just if you were looking in a vacuum, that's what you want, right? Is like hire people, let them do their job. Yeah, the owner's plugged in so he can address needs that they're like, hey, we need to build a new practice facility or we need to invest in uh, you know, better technology in, in health recognition or whatever yep. it is. Yep. The owner's involved. Um, and the Grizzlies, to their credit, like they've expanded a lot in terms of their infrastructure. Like the, the, the organization is a lot bigger under Para. The problem has always been this, is that two days after it was announced that Robert Para was going to buy the Grizzlies, a report came out that his basically his his net worth had plummeted from like $1.2 billion down to like you know $750 billion. It went back up two weeks later. His entire uh, net worth has fluctuated wildly over the years, and there's always been these conversations about what's going on. A lot of issues going on with his company, Ubiquity, too. Yes, and that was the key of it, is was what was going on with Ubiquity. So – that may have all maybe that's been resolved. Maybe all of that's passed and maybe he really is locked in. But I'm not entirely convinced that we're gonna see the end of those fluctuations. And one thing that was notable to me was at the trade deadline, when they were talking to people about Tyreek Evans, the narrative out there says that, oh, the Grizzlies uh just wouldn't trade Tyreek Evans for all these things, or oh, the Grizzlies wouldn't take a second round pick and nobody offered a first. And that's flatly not true. Multiple teams offered first round picks for Tyreek Evans and the Grizzlies declined them because it involved taking on salary considerations. Now, there are ways to look at that from a basketball perspective and say that was probably the smart move, that you don't want this extra money on your books when you're looking at having to navigate this, that, and the other, and you don't know what your team's going to look like next year, and you want maximum flexibility. Like If your plan is we're going to keep Gasol, we're going to keep Conley, we're going to add a high-profile draft pick through this tank job that we've pulled off, and we're going to try and reconfigure the roster. Well, if you're going to reconfigure the roster and get some of the guys that clearly are not NBA-quality players that are in the rotation out, you need flexibility. So there's an argument to be made that nothing that they did was inherently about financials. But it was shocking to hear that in a situation where you're literally going to lose Evans for nothing and get a pick out of it, you wouldn't do it because of the salary considerations. And that inspired a little bit of concern over everybody's just like, we just don't know. Like, There's just no idea of where they're at. Like With Robert Sarver and the Suns, you have a pretty clear idea of what you're dealing with. Like you know what Sarver's going to do. He's predictable in his nature. Perez inherently is not predictable because he's a non-entity. Um, he's shown a really smart capacity in some things. Like hiring John Hollinger was really smart. I thought hiring Ed Stefanski it worked out really well. I think the way that they've managed things has actually been pretty good. I like that they didn't cave and just bail on Mark Gasol, that they're actually going to try and get back on board. I think that's probably too far gone at this point. Like part of me expects him to be gone this summer because I just think that this year poisoned the well. I think unintentionally, like they had every intention of keeping Marc Gasol, and then everything that had to happen for Gasol to, to push himself out happened. Yep, uh, I'd agree with that. That's that's kind of my read on it. Is that we're going to see continued instability now? Jeff Calkins reported this morning that there are basically elements in play with the lease to keep them in Memphis until 2027. I don't know the particulars on how ironclad those are. What I do know is like I'm not entirely convinced that. Because Robert Parrott bought out his minority partners, it doesn't mean that in two years he's not going to exit at a very, very, very high buyout for an even higher valuation than the $1.4 billion they were valued at in this estimation. So, I, like, I think it might even be less time because yeah. I think, you know, look, the, think about it. Robert Parrott bought the team for what? I mean, even though he didn't spend much money on it, what was the valuation then? $400 million? $450? I mean, if they put the team on the open market today, like let's say he buys them out this week. Or, you know, it takes longer. But let's say he buys them out this week, and then he puts them on the puts the team on the market in July. 
I think you could sell the Grizzlies for $2 billion because right. there are huge markets, whether it's Seattle, or Mexico City, available that you could have somebody rich come in and say, hey, I want to put the team in Seattle or Mexico City or whatever. And it's worth more than 1.4. So he could turn around and get a billion dollars on an investment that, you know, right now is a few hundred million and he could make a gigantic profit. I mean, I, I've talked to other ownership groups that, you know, they've, they've said, look, we at least have to think about it. I mean, with, all, with the way these franchises are skyrocketing, you know, at some point you got to go, hey, if I can quintuple my investment in 10 years or five years or eight years or 15 years, whatever, like maybe the right thing to do is to do that. So, you know, I, I, I think that to your point, I, I think anybody assuming that this just puts, hey, things are great in Memphis, team's not going anywhere, everything's fine. I think that's kind of puts, you know, sticking your head in the sand and not paying attention to the bigger issues at play here because you're right. I, I think part of the reason that there's been so much confusion about the way this is going to play out is because really nobody has any idea what Para is going to do. Um, and, and I think that that's what makes it difficult to have a read on exactly what's going to happen with Memphis moving forward because, like you said, even for people within the league, he's kind of a black box in terms of um, – what his situation is. And, and that goes for his company, which I mean, you've had people publicly shorting his company and like other stuff has gone on that you mentioned how his stocks have gone, his stock numbers have gone flying up and down. I mean, it, there's just a lot of uncertainty that, you know, I, I, if I was a Grizzlies fan, you know, unfortunately for a market that, you know, I, I enjoy visiting and it's been fun to see that team do really well for a while. I, I would be unsettled if I was a fan of that team, wondering what the future is going to look like. Yeah, um, like I said, I think the lease agreements are interesting in terms of I don't know how ironclad they are, and there may have been initial, there may have been additional uh, elements put in place of the new ownership agreement, depending on what investors were involved um, with Paris' uh, uh, take taking of that that larger share that may go ahead and resolve this. I, I continue to think that um, you know there's going to be conversations about Memphis as a potential target, but look, if Memphis also. Um, if Mem- here's here's an interesting kind of subplot. Uh, the NBA economic model is going to change dramatically over the next couple of years because there's going to be an understanding in the league that uh, basically the TV deal, the media deal, isn't going to be their primary source of revenue going forward. Or not – it's going to be the primary, but it won't be the only one, and they're going to have to diversify. And what that's going to do is that's going to sh- ease a little bit of the burden. If they find more ways through esports or whatever else it is, that's going to bring in more revenue for teams like the Grizzlies, and that can help them get above that red line and into the black. And so if you have things like the legalization of gambling and esports and continuing digital streams, if those things provide opportunities for the small markets to be able to just generate more revenue, even if everybody else is making more money, that's fine. All you got to do is get Memphis out of the red, and then it's a lot more viable for, one, for them to spend and contend, and two, it takes the pressure off of moving them. Yeah. here is like if somebody else bought the team and they were like it's this huge you know i'm losing money on my investment in memphis i would be making hand over fist in seattle or vancouver or wherever that's where the 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 economic start to shift but if the inherent model of how the nba generates revenue shifts that can offset at least some of that and change things in little ways that we just don't know how to forecast yep Totally agree. The other thing to watch there too, I think, is uh, greater revenue sharing, more like what the NFL does. I think that uh, it, the way the league is going now, this is an early prediction, something I've been thinking about for a while. I feel like the, the next war in the NBA is not going to be 
between the players and the and the owners. It's going to be between the owners themselves about the amount of money that is available to everybody and how it's split up. Because there are a few teams that are making gobs of money, and there's a bunch that are breaking even. And I feel like, you know, not to try to turn it into a greater political situation like the one that maybe our entire country's in at the moment, but I do feel like, given the way the sport is right now, there is a reckoning coming at some point where the vast majority of these teams say, hey, look, I understand you teams in L.A. and New York and Chicago and Oakland are doing great, but there's a lot of us who are just struggling to break even. So, and, and you guys are making $100 million in profit. And I, I do really wonder how that shakes out over the next five years or so as we get closer to do a new CBA and, and how that, that all plays out because I, I feel like that could really have a huge impact on not just not only a team like Memphis, but just the, the league in general in terms of the direction it heads in moving forward. And the ownership shifts are, are power of that too, right? Like yep. um, you've got guys like Herb Cole exiting and Lazary and, and even, got a lot of hedge fund guys coming in who are putting out of, money. And, and, you know, you got like guys like Ted Leonsis who like, I like Ted Leonsis personally from the, the perspective that he gives, like there are individual decisions I can definitely criticize, but I love the fact that one of his things is just like, he wants his cut. Like I, I he's transparent about it yep. and doesn't, present himself as anything other than what he is and i have a real appreciation for that which is like his his lack of understanding of like well if it's our product why aren't we getting a cut of it um so like he's he's gonna be part of it and then uh like the bus family you know they've for years and years jerry bus was one of the leaders of the kind of the old contingent they're exiting um you saw the, the changeover in houston so now with new ownership coming in, those conversations are going to shift dramatically. Like those yep. conversations will change because you have guys whose entire like experience is you know, using edges to make the most money, whether it's in business or tech or whatever. Yep. And they're going to look at this and say like, well, wait a minute uh, and pursue every opportunity they can to get those edges. So yep. yeah, I'm hundred percent with you there that, that uh, we're going to see that battle between the ownership and it's going to, the, the big thing here is, for the first time, I think it's not just that there's a majority of kind of new money ownership. It's that it's such kind of an overwhelming one now. And if, we, if there's a few more owners that go in that direction, it's going to change even more. That also could have ramifications, by the way, down the line for the CBA, but that's a few years away. Yeah, it could. And I, I think I think the league is in a good enough place that I, I think that the in terms of taking money back from the players, I don't think the league is going to go there just because it's in such a good place now that I don't think they can jeopardize Right. ruining that momentum, which is why I think the ownership situation is so interesting. And for people that don't know, the reason the NFL has the revenue sharing it has now is because Wellington Mara, the owner of the Giants, one of the biggest teams, was willing to share his money equally with teams like Green Bay and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Buffalo. And it, if it wasn't for that, the, the NFL would not be in the position it's in. And so that, to your point, it, this is going to be about what do the Lakers owners do? What, do, what does James Dolan do? What does Jerry Reinsdorf do? What does you know Joe Lacob and ownership in Oakland do? I mean that that is the that is the the basis for a lot of this stuff because some of these big market teams are going to say, hey, we're putting in a lot of money already, and you're going to have some of these smaller market teams saying, hey, you're not putting enough money yet, and that stuff is going to be interesting. But we've gotten very far away from the initial <laughs> topic, so we will stop here. But Matt, uh, this is awesome. I appreciate doing it. I'm looking forward to seeing you during the playoffs, part of your new gig with the Action Network. Very excited for that. Um, before you go though. Let people know where they can follow you on social media and uh, preview anything you've got coming up here the next few days as we get ready for the playoffs. 
Sure. Uh, you can follow me at Matt Moore, T-A-N, or if you do not like brevity or quiet, you can follow me at HP Basketball. <laughs> Make sure to check us out at Action Network HQ. Go to actionnetwork.com. Uh, we have and just an immense amount of information up at all times about everything going on, uh, up to the second gambling lines and information, DFS profiles. My in-depth analysis, Jason Sobel doing golf. I'm going to be doing uh, playoff previews. I've got a column going up about LeBron and what these playoffs mean for his future uh, going up probably in the next 24 hours. Uh, I'm looking at all sorts of matchups, including way intricate detailed breakdowns of what how these first-round series are going to play out. Uh, and I'll be breaking down the tiebreakers, continuing on social media. So I appreciate you having me on, Sam. It's been a blast. Hey, man. Happy to do it. And uh, like I said, I'm excited to see you uh, during the playoffs. Looking forward to it. So thanks. Thanks for stopping by, man. I appreciate it. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks again to Matt for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate him taking the time to do so. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, and the pages of the Washington Post are on our website at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Please go give the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you can find it, uh, whether it's Google Play, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Radio Public, wherever else you get it. Go give us a five-star rating and review. really helps a lot. Please go support Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Glenn's the NBA through post, good friend of mine. His band also did the theme music for the podcast. A lot of people have commented on how much they like it. Go find their music online and, and get it and support them. They, they're a fun band to listen to. I've seen them in concert. Uh, definitely go check them out. Also, go check out our other podcasts at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. If Kenny do that on uh, the goings on with President Trump, we have president, presidential and constitutional, the two series from Lily Cunningham. Uh, They're both great. Uh, Letters from War, which is a, a, a really cool new podcast on uh, different going back in time and looking at, you know, letters written from soldiers in combat. Um, a lot of great stuff. Like I said, at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast. Please go check all of that out. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Going to be back hopefully at least once later in the week. Got a couple ideas in mind. Got to see if we could pull them off, uh, but should be fun. So uh, definitely be looking out for some more podcasts later in the week. But in the meantime, thanks for listening to this one. And as always, we'll talk to you again soon.